Hardship in this fallen and broken world is inevitable, but how do we make sense of it in connection with God's will? Sometimes it looks like he doesn't know when to quit, and hardship starts to wear us down. Well, join us today, and we will try and help you figure this out. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Keith Crosby Out of My Mind. This is podcast 59, podcast 059, and today we want to have a biblical conversation with you about this crazy world in which we live. So join us over the next 20 minutes or so as we provide you a bird's eye view perspective of some complex issue confronting our culture, the church, and you as we apply God's word to make sense of it all. And at the end of the podcast, we'll point you to additional resources just in case you'd like to dig a little bit deeper. In the meantime, let's get started. Yeah, you know, Keith, I really like kind of the direction that we're heading here, trying to be a little bit um, practical, really hitting these topics that are really for everyone. Um, you know, last week talking about God's will, and this week talking about, you know, God's will in these hard times and this hardship that we face. You know, there's people getting sick and dying of COVID, uh, people receiving cancer diagnosis and all of those things. Um, now we're coming up against a bunch of people losing jobs and um, economies not doing as well and all of these things um, that can concern us and, and really seem to be really difficult for us. And uh, and it can be tough for a Christian in these times to figure out what God's will is in all of this. Well, you're right, Mark. You know, it is hard. We are in hard times. And even when we aren't, aren't in hard uh, economic times or pandemics, life is hard, and people want answers, and I'm afraid sometimes there are no easy answers. I certainly wish that there were. Well, I would like to think that there are some answers, though, right? There are answers. Yes, there are, but they're not always easy to give and not always easy to receive, and that's why Christian people have to be so careful, as we discussed in the previous podcast several months ago, on comforting those in time of loss, we have to be able to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. But we also have to understand, as we try and tackle this topic, that hardships do come, uh, there is a purpose for them, and we can make sense of it all. And one of the ways we do that is to go to the Bible, is to look in God's Word. So I want to take us back for a moment to Genesis 3. That's the fall in the Garden of Eden, and that is the beginning, that's the starting point for all hardships. It begins with the fall of humanity when Adam and Eve betray God, and there are costs associated with that betrayal. Uh, Let me read to you from Genesis 3 as he talks to Adam and Eve. He talks to Eve, and he says, because of what she's done, he says, I will greatly multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire will be contrary to your husband, and he shall rule over you. And he says to Adam, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And what we see here is the beginning of hardship. It resulted from original sin, and it 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 changed mankind's relationship to God, to other humans, and even the environment was changed by sin. Romans 5.12 tells us that sin and death entered the world through the sin of one man and spread to all because all sinned. And so it's like we've received a virus that corrupts our nature, and it corrupts the fabric of the universe, 
And we, in turn, spread that virus deliberately, not accidentally. And I'm not sure of how it all works, but basically the nature of everything was changed and everything now is a little bit broken. And as God said to Adam and Eve, here's hardship. Here's the consequences of your action. And so we are in danger. We face death. We face hardship. And death entered the world and is spread by humans. And God is sovereign, but humans in their relationship with one another, beginning with Adam and Eve, are kind of unpredictable. And God presides over it all. And he talks about these thorns and thistles, and they take different forms in our context. But when you think about it, there's all kinds of obstacles to a peaceful life, to a comfortable life. There's harm, death, danger, sickness, loss, uncertainty. Yeah, I think that's a really great kind of a, a, a summation of kind of where these hard times come from. And, um, you know, I, I think of that that passes in, passage in Genesis chapter 3, um, and just a little bit after that, God removes the tree of life, um, cuts off man from the tree of life, and so death then reigns in this world. And so I think there's that definitely leads some people to say it seems like God is now punishing all of humanity because of this this sin that happened back in Genesis chapter 3. You know, some have suggested as much, but as Christians we know better, and we can talk more about the fall and God's efforts to redeem mankind in another podcast, but right now we've only got 20 minutes. So let's understand that while we live in a fallen, broken world where there is sin, sadness, and suffering, hardship, that God has not abandoned us as believers, nor has he abandoned even unbelievers. Think of it this way, for the unbeliever, hardship and suffering are symptoms of a greater problem. Symptoms? How do you mean symptoms? Symptoms of what? Well, think of it this way. When a man begins to have chest pains, he knows he might have a heart problem, and he seeks treatment. Or even with my own illness, Guillain-Barre syndrome, I knew something was wrong. These symptoms told me that I needed help, and I sought medical attention. In Genesis 3, we find the fall, and things begin to devolve, heading downhill, so to speak. And there is violence in the world, and there's hardship, and men are eking out a living. And eventually we read this, and men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Even for the unbeliever, they know something is wrong. And they, sooner or later, have nowhere to look but up in some cases. And so today, even in our secular culture, in post-Christian America, in a post-Christian world, God uses hardship to induce unbelievers to seek him. And like I said a moment ago, they end up with no way to look up, to look but up. But Mark, we're getting a little off track here because this particular podcast is about hardship and the Christ follower. Okay, so let's get started with that then. Hardship and the believers and how and how it works in their life. I know, you know, I, I can think of very few people that are more qualified probably to speak on the subject than you when I look at the last five years of your life and, and the difficulties that you've faced there. So how do you keep going? How does your family keep going through all of this hardship? Well, you know, I'm no Superman and I don't want to sound trite, but I survive, we thrive. Thrive is a better word, because we know of God's character, and we really, really do believe that God is good, and we cling to that truth, and we believe that God causes all things, all things, to work together for good for those who love him, for those who are called according to his purposes, as it says in Romans 8, 28. But, or and, here's the rub, we, you, me, 
others do not always understand his purposes. Down here on the ground, we cannot always see things from a heavenly or eternal perspective, from God's perspective. And so we don't, and we can't always know why. And that can be stressful. It can be very, very hard. All right, maybe elaborate a little bit on that. Sure. I mean, God has the big picture, the big picture perspective on all of redemptive history, every inch of thread that makes up the fabric of redemptive history. Sometimes I call that the unfolding drama of redemption. He's got this big picture perspective that we can't see, and he's got this plan worked out to the smallest detail. And as the psalmist said, that he is intimately acquainted with all of our ways. And Psalm 139 says he knows our thoughts from afar, and he knows a word before it's even on our tongue. And Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, he even knows when a sparrow falls from a tree. And so our suffering, according to the testimony of Scripture, is part of God's plan sometimes, and it's never, ever wasted. It involves our good and a far-reaching goal and good for others that is sometimes beyond our grasp to even imagine or think of. I mean, think of Christ's crucifixion. Think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and think of Jesus' request. He goes, Father, if if it is at all possible, let this cup pass from me. And then he says, nevertheless, not what I will, Father, but what you will. And it's that I will be done moment. I mean, Christ was arrested. Christ was insulted. Christ was beaten. He was crucified. His enemies mocked him on the cross. Think of the hardship. But in the big picture, sin, death, and hell, and Satan were defeated. The Romans there, the Jews that were his enemies, they thought they had triumphed over him. They thought they had crushed him. And initially, not even his disciples grasped what was going on, the big picture, until his resurrection. All right, Keith, I think, you know, most of us listening to this podcast are Christians, and we um, we kind of understand Christ's suffering to some level, and we understand what Christ did on the cross and his His death um, that ultimately enabled us to um, to have life and do those things. I think we, we kind of get that, um, but that seems like it's a suffering that's pretty above, like that's the suffering that God took on for us. So why don't you bring this down maybe to the level of like you and me and our sufferings that we deal with here on earth as it relates to God's will. Okay, but as I do this, I want to look to God's word, and namely the book of Job. And you remember last week we talked about Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children that we may observe them forever. And so I want to look to the Bible because the Bible is the revealed will of God that helps us decode sometimes what's happening around us that we can't always make sense of. And so we, I want to look to the book of Job. The book of Job is helpful because God reads us into the larger program by showing us what's happening on earth and what's happening in the heavenly world or the spirit world and how these things co- intersect and collide. So God says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him. And Satan tries to tell God that a believer, even a believer like Job, will abandon God when the going gets tough. And Job's faithfulness only extends to the borders of his comfort zone. And so ultimately, God allows Satan to attack Job in unspeakable ways, so long as Satan doesn't take Job's life. And as Job's health and life are destroyed, we find this statement made by Job when he's not understanding all the hardship. He, ta- he, he alludes to his understanding of the goodness and the character of God, and this always just resonates in my mind. He says, and this I'm going to recite this in the old King James, though, I, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. 
And that's what you got to cling to, the goodness of God. That's what Job does. He can't see all that's going on in the spirit world. He doesn't understand why he's going through all this hardship. God allows all kinds of hardship. Satan brutally attacks Job. Even Job's friends and wife turn on him while he's in this horrible condition. And Job isn't perfect. And eventually he even displays anger toward God, which is always sinful and prideful. But we know how the story ends. God intervenes. He rebukes Job's friends for their criticism of Job, and God rebukes Job with a series of questions which sort of bring clarity to Job's thinking and attitude. And so he asks him these tough questions, and Job comes to realize that there are things in perspective that Job cannot know and understand. And at the end of the book of Job, Job is restored. He's never given an answer. He never knows why he suffered all these hardships. He's never completely read into what goes on. And as crushing as these things were, God never really gives him an answer. And in essence, he just says, I'm God and you got to trust me. You know, where were you when I formed the universe? Where were you when I led the stars out one by one and didn't lose any of them? And he just tells Job, I'm God. I have a superior knowledge and purpose. And there are just some things you can't know. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things we know about Job is, uh, you know, Job isn't there for Job chapter one, and he doesn't get to see that that dialogue play out. But uh, but we we know that this is something I think that a lot of people struggle with is Job is never really given that reason for why he struggled. And so what do you say to those people who do kind of look at the book of Job and just say, man, why would this this Job go through all of this suffering? What's what's the reasons behind that? Well, I'll give you two answers to that question. First, again, it gets back to Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. God has a purpose and a plan that we can't always see. Those are the secret things. And yet he involves us in redemptive history. We're we're in a war, right, between God and Satan. And although God is going to win, if, if you have the superior army and you invade, there are always going to be casualties. Now, God has a purpose for all the suffering. And so what we understand here is is that we can read these things, the things revealed, the story of Job is revealed to us in the Word of God. Job, therefore, suffered for our sakes. And don't miss the fact that God sort of reads us into the backstory. We get to see the dialogues between God and Satan, and we get to see how these things work out. We get to watch them all work out. We learn about bad theology from Job's friends who say, well, you must have done something bad because bad things don't happen to nice people. Not true. Christ was crucified. You and I have experienced persecution in our own lives. But what we learn is, is that God is always at work, even in the background when we can't see it. We also learn that Satan is real, and he is indeed a lion looking for someone to attack and to devour, particularly believers. And so the book of Job was written for our sakes, and it was preserved and transmitted down through the the pages of history, the tides of time, as one of the 66 books of the Bible. Romans 15 provides us a perspective on the whole of Scripture. The Apostle Paul, talking to the Roman Christians about the Word of God, says this in Romans 15, 4, 5, and 6. The Word of God says this, Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. 
And he says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So God has given us his word, the the, the things revealed, to encourage us to have hope. He has uh, done this to develop an endurance in us and a patience that together as Christians, as Christ followers, we can run the race, fight the good fight. So Job was written for us to read and to understand that there are things that we can't see or understand, but God is good and God is at work even when our suffering doesn't make sense to us, even when life doesn't make sense to us, and we can never lose sight of that. We just we have to realize that we are that our minds can't comprehend everything that God is up to. But God does cause all things to work together for good. And that's why we have the book of James. You know, in James chapter one, verse two, three and four, it says this Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, let me just unpack this a little bit more. It says, treat it like it's joy. It doesn't mean that suffering is joyful. My my health crisis of the last five weeks hasn't been pleasant. Uh, my daughter's accident five years ago and her long and painful recovery hasn't always been pleasant, but we find joy in it. And joy doesn't mean that you're slap happy every day. We find contentment in it. We find heart peace in it because we know that God is at work, that God doesn't waste our suffering, and that he who causes all things to work together for good is strengthening our faith. He's exercising our spiritual muscles to prepare us to serve him better still. And that's the steadfastness that we're to let take root and have its full effect that will be adequate and complete, lacking in nothing for the next assignment we receive from our good God. And so we find joy in clinging to what is true, that through these trials, God is at work accomplishing many, many things and many, many purposes that we can't see, whether it's my daughter's blog or us just bearing witness to the faithfulness of Christ or the congregation here coming around us in the trial. God is equipping us all for greater service. He is also building our reliance, your reliance on him. He's building our skill set and our gift set by building our steadfastness that we'll be better equipped to serve him and others, to bring comfort and encouragement to others. Yeah, so we may never know, uh, just like Job did, why we suffer, correct? I think that's kind of one of the things that, that we, we can see through here. But it brings me to a, kind of another question, and it's another piece of Job's story, is this restoration so Job gets restored at the end of at the end of the book. Um, Job is restored. Everything is given back to him, and so the question I guess is, can we as believers expect a restoration like Job had for all the hardships that we have in our life? And the answer is yes and no. And this is what's hard to take for some people. Yeah, Job was restored in that life, in that context. And you know what? He received greater rewards in the life that follows. You and I will experience the total restoration of anything and everything we lost in the next life. And, and, And so, you know, I will be completely healed. My daughter will be completely healed in the next life. 
the fact is, there are just no easy answers, you know, but there is a payoff, and most of us will not see all things clearly until we cross over into glory, and for some right now, that's hard to take. Yeah, I think that's that's so evident, I think, in so many believers' lives, um, just this idea that, you know, sometimes we just don't know. And so, can you now just kind of bring this down to um, maybe just the more practical pieces and the more practical level of, of how we apply this to our lives. Sure, and it gets back to Deuteronomy 29, 29, which we've already covered, but it also brings us to Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. And this is what it says there. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. And here's the deal. We look with physical eyes, but we are operating also in a spiritual realm. And so we can't trust in our five senses. Well, we have to trust in the Lord with all of our heart. We have to acknowledge him in all of our ways, not being wise in our own sight, not trusting in our five senses, but staying faithful to him, clinging to what is true. And in that, we will find healing. We will find refreshment. We will find hope. As believers, we have God and we have his word. We have an outline for the big picture of the unfolding drama of redemption for all humanity. And we are in that picture somewhere. So as you and I suffer, we need to cling to what is true, not how we feel, not our own understanding, but seek the divine perspective. We acknowledge God when we trust God, and his word can give us hope, encouragement, and guidance. We cannot rely on human wisdom. We cannot be wise in our own sight. And we have to realize that our ultimate healing comes in the next life. And I get it. That's Life in a fallen world is hard to take. Life doesn't always seem fair. The hardships sometimes drain us, but God uses the hardship ultimately to strengthen us and to accomplish great things through us, things that we might never perceive. He never, ever wastes our suffering, and we have to trust in that. We have to trust in him. As I've said before, abide in Christ, keep his word, and let him do the heavy lifting. Yeah, I think I've heard that so many times over these past five years. It seems like that's kind of the the statement that uh, that you continue to cling through, even through all of your hard times in these last uh, five years. Yeah, it is. But you don't want to trust in my experience. You want to trust in God's Word, even when life hurts. Because the secret things do belong to Him, but the things revealed belong to us. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us, everyone. If you'd like additional resources, you can find them at www.gracetoliveradio.org and hit the resource button. If you have questions, we'd love to hear from you. Email me at keith at hillside.org. If you'd like to learn more about Hillside Church, visit us online at www.hillside.org. Worship with us at 8 o'clock, 9.30, and 11. Join us for our Fall Fest, October 30th from 5 to 8 on Saturday. Bounce houses, games, all kinds of fun for the family. In the meantime, whatever podcast platform you're on, please give us a good rating. Share us with your friends. We want to expand the reach of this ministry. This is Keith Crosby with Mark Stickler saying God bless you and God keep you.